0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please
1: note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
0: When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers.
1: You quote the Bible like you actually believe in God. Look, wait Welcome to Very Bad Wizards, I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, Scarlett Johansson had been cast to play Dante Tex Gill, a trans man, in the new movie Rub and Tug. Do you find the casting of Scarlett Johansson, a straight woman, as a trans man, to be problematic?
0: <laughs> I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. You know, it's a really good question. Like is it? Yeah, you know the the this maybe started um, recently as a conversation piece when my daughter accused me that doing a certain kind of accent was in and of itself racist. So if I did a foreign accent and that foreign person happened to be a different race, and so I was pushing her on this, asking her whether you know a French accent was was being. In some way, prejudice, and her intuition was that it has to be sort of a di- of a different race. So, if, in order for it to be racist, but so you know, she's it like a black very... guy kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's to her a racist. I don't understand why. But when I do a Jewish mom, is that racist? Like, what if she's Ashkenazi? <laughs> what is that? What is,
1: what is you doing? A French accent has to have to do with Scarlett Johansson? Okay, so here is here is where
0: here is where I'm making the the connection. So, at what point is are you allowed to as an actor, professional actor allowed to portray something you're not? <clears throat> and so presumably it is it is not right for um a white actor anymore to use blackface to portray a black character. Part of that is the history of this all, but part of it is certainly the um the fact that there are plenty of black actors who are available right to do this. Right um and that's why i think that that um part of the question uh in the scarlett johansson casting is whether or not there was a trans man who was available to portray it and whether or not um they were being sort of slighted in the casting um in favor of the big box office draw but i'm of the opinion that anybody should be allowed to play anybody as long as they're good actors. So, so there's my answer. Couple there's the long answer to a very short couple of things. Question. I have
1: a couple reactions to your take, to your hot take. To there. my hot take. I don't know if it was a hot take. It sort of, <laughs> it Peter, it started out like it was going to be hot, and then just
0: like the Well, fire. I could tell you were impatient, so I didn't continue my tirade. Well,
1: I got that. thrown off when you said Scarlett Johansson. Oh, is that is that wrong? Well, I've just never heard her referred to like that. Is it racist? it's a little racist, frankly <laughs> it's funny that you had the reaction that 's an interesting question, because my reaction when I saw that there was a debate about this on Twitter was to quit Twitter for three days, like i couldn't take because you thought it was that so obvious that,
0: that it would be wrong
1: no, I just couldn't believe like how much how people were worked up about it, and you know, so first, there are the people who are slamming her being cast and then there are the people who are upset that she's being slammed uh, for the casting (laughs) like Barry Weiss weighed in you know and the and it just seemed like okay this is why you can't be on the internet like this is you can't Like just and the fact that I'm talking to you about it right now is yeah I was gonna like, say and yet here we are successful like <laughs> I can't I can't shed it I can't disconnect myself from it so but I guess if I had to, if gun to my head as there clearly is right now if I had to give an opinion about it like Scarlett Johansson is a huge movie star and yeah. there's no trans actor that's a huge movie star right now so.
0: Whose fault is that, Tamler?
1: Well, right. I <laughs> anticipate that being the response to that point. But, I mean, that's just the fact. Like, like if you're trying to sell a movie, like, this movie it had a budget, and it, and it, and it has uh, people that are trying to make money on it. And, now, by the way, she's now no longer doing it because of the backlash. No, no. But I think something that you can't not take no, into No, but she account. doesn't have
0: to be cast in that role. I no, don't know. but I like, mean,
1: that's probably the role that would draw her to it. She probably thought it could be like a Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man kind of deal where <laughs> she could get an Oscar, you know, instead.
0: Email <laughs> Tamler about his comparison. <laughs> what, like, is that okay for someone to
1: play an autistic man? Well, yeah, so this
0: is, this is what, one of the things I was talking to somebody about, whether or not this is um, like when people play d- mentally disabled uh People Like, presumably, it's because the mentally disabled people wouldn't be capable of playing those roles, I think.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's They're actors. Like, that's what actors do. They play other people. Uh, yeah,
0: but what about, like, um, maybe you don't agree with this either, but, like, a, we, we no longer hire just white people in, in blackface or in Asian face right like breakfast at tiffany's with <laughs> with uh, what's his name uh, mickey rooney playing the, mickey rooney playing a chinese man I, I you know i'd never seen that movie when i first saw it i was like in my 30s and i was like whoa what the <laughs> fuck how is I, this
1: i <laughs> i i actually so I uh, while i'm morally opposed to that performance. <laughs> I strongly (laughs) urge our listeners to, if they can, watch it because it is one of the funniest things you'll ever see in your entire life.
0: Oh, man. It's cringeworthy.
1: It's like just the idea that that was thought to be okay in a movie. It's like it's one thing if it's South Park or something like that, where like <laughs> everybody is kind of caricatured in this way. But the movie <laughs> otherwise is just a normal movie. Like it's just a straightforward uh film about a woman. Yeah, that's the, and
0: I didn't know that this was a thing. And I'm like, oh there's a nice movie about her and then all of a sudden Mickey Rooney shows up and I'm like, what
1: the fuck It's like you're in a South Park episode all of a sudden. And then yeah, it's uh, You know
0: there is there is some um, like there's a question maybe about the authenticity, and but this is, I disagree with this claim, but but I'll make it, um, which is that part of what being an actor might require is some some empathy with the role, and that uh, somebody who is actually the thing that they are portraying might have more empathy with the role. I don't I don't think that's the case, but let me give you an example of how. It was hilariously not the case. When I was a kid, I used to watch those Johnny Weissmuller um, Tarzan movies, like the black and white ones. Yeah. And I have a very clear memory of being, you know, like a seven-year-old and seeing the natives uh, in that movie speaking to each other in Spanish. (laughs) Like they had just hired a bunch of Mexicans to portray like natives in Africa. I was like, why are they speaking what I speak? <laughs> I didn't know uh, I could speak African. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all um, but, but, you you but, go
1: like you go up to like some like like Nigerian guy and you start speaking Spanish <laughs> to him, just expecting how him. Dare to dare totally you not speak
0: African back <laughs> to me? But but I I think good acting is good acting. I mean I can see why trans actors would get pissed at being you know they, yeah. maybe this could have been my break totally um, yeah
1: now it still can yeah. Um, I, I, I just found it at like, you know, I, it's fine that the controversy was happening. I, what I didn't like was that I was, I knew about it.
0: <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with you on this one. I will reserve the right for black male comedians to portray, uh, old white Jews, uh, <laughs> old black women. Uh, I, I feel like a, a black male comedian is the most <laughs> versatile acting role.
1: Well, I mean, like Eddie Murphy as like the old Jewish guy. Is, yeah, like, that's about as good as anybody can it's do. As
0: it. good as it gets. Uh, Eddie Murphy in the old at life skit as a white man who is, right, who who <laughs> puts on white face to live in the world and doesn't realize how easy it is.
1: All right, uh, today, couple things in the second segment, the main segment. We're going to begin what is at least a two-episode series on a short stories of Jorge Luis Borges. Did I say that right?
0: You did, as as well as you could.
1: As well as a man of my skin color can say it. (laughs) We'll be talking about his story, A Tower of... Not the Tower of Babel. The Library of Babel. We'll be talking about that incredible story, which I've reread a f- couple days ago and have pretty much thought about nothing else since. Then the following episode, or at least uh, in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about the story, of "The Garden of Forking Paths." And then, who knows, this could be like a rich mine right. that we, we can, could nagle him. Yeah, we could <laughs> nagle him. <exactly. laughs> uh, first, though, you brought my attention to a new study
0: was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was an actual study uh who who I was which was brought to my attention by Neuroskeptic once again. Um another well. <laughs> I wanted your hot take on this. Yeah. It's the title of the uh paper is American political party affiliation as a predictor of usage of an adultery website. Uh this is published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior this month, July 2018. And the gist of it is that <clears throat> so you remember, I guess, the, the, I think we might have talked about it, the Ashley Madison, um, you did. which is a web, yeah. a website where people could go sign up to have an affair. Um, presumably, you had to be married. You would uh, then be connected to other married people. Um, how does that which, work? Do you have to be married? Like, how do they check? Uh, it's the honors. <laughs> you have to, like... <laughs> <laughs> Like do you, you don't have like do you have to send like a copy Upload of your, your marriage, marriage certificate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe that it was uh, purely purely on the honor system, and um, and I think that that there was social pressure to both for both parties to be married because then it was mutually ass- assured destruction. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> um, and and so a while ago, uh, Ashley the Ashley Madison database leaked and was released to everybody. So now, even you, dear listener, if you wanted to, could go and actually search the database. I think it's fairly easy to find and, and probably fairly easy to search at this point. Um, there was a couple these
1: politicians al- that went down because of this. Yeah, there's Maybe actually
0: some like academics who <laughs> are in uh, that database <laughs> <laughs> whose names shall not be mentioned here. Um, Present company... <laughs> Excluded. company excluded because i'm not married so why would i go <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> exactly so what they did was so taking registration in the ash on the ashley madison website is some sort of proxy for adultery um, but i actually when we can talk about this i don't even think you need to take it as a proxy of anything other than signing up for, <laughs> for ashley, ashley madison, madison. yeah <laughs> um they wanted to look at whether or not there was a difference in the registered uh, political party in the US um, and your likelihood to to use Ashley Madison. So they just took a look at voting records, given the the publicly available voting records and the now publicly available Ashley Madison database, and they found that libertarians and Republicans were most likely to have registered for Ashley Madison. And Green Party... Um, no, Democrats were least likely. Republic, uh, Greens and unaffiliated voters were in between. I like that the Green Party will go on there. It's... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's like, it is yeah, we got George weird. Bush Jr. elected. Uh, now let's go have an affair. Fuck it, you know? <laughs> like, we started two wars. Why not, like, have an affair on our wives? Like, like that's... <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, so what do I think of this? What's my... Th-
0: yeah, so uh, there's two things, right? So there's the there's the data in, in and of themselves and whether you think it says anything interesting um, or unexpected. And then there is the meta take, which um, neuros- the reason for Neuroskeptics tweet, which was whether or not um, it is ethical to use the database in actual research. Um, now that it's leaked, you know, the cat's out of the bag. is Was it okay for Arfer and Jones, were the authors, to have... Have actually used it. Okay, so let me take the first part first. So one
1: of the things they write, and I'm now quoting Neuroskeptic, quoting them, our results are perhaps the strongest evidence yet that people with more sexually conservative values, although they claim to act accordingly, are more sexually deviant in practice than their more sexually liberal peers. So I, I think that that's... Like a, a ridiculous claim to make based on, on these data about Ashley Madison. I, I also I really don't think like Republicans have more sexually conservative values when it comes to adultery than liberals. There's no pro adultery platform within the Democratic Party. There's no like so you haven't been invited to that party. It's, it's true. Like <laughs> why, why, why? Can you get me in? <laughs> I'll see what I can do. So I, I so the least surprising thing is that libertarians are by far the most uh, likely to do this. Like this, Ashley Madison just seems like a libertarian fantasy come to life. Um, it
0: is. Um, don't tread on me. <laughs> it's their dream <laughs> it's, uh, realized, kind of. Libertarians you know. are just like like uh, Satanists, maybe you know. They're like, do what thou wilt. That's the extent of the law. <laughs> Uh, I think, I, like you
1: say, the more interesting question is the ethics of doing this at all
0: yeah i so I agree with you that this this statement that uh, people with more sexually conservative values or more sexually deviant is deviant is cannot be you can't conclude that from these results. What can you conclude, and this is what neuroskeptic I think doesn't focus on and um too much is what you can conclude is that. Uh, Republicans go on Ashley Madison more. Right. Which, I'm like, impressed I, that,
1: I, you know, like they're old, so I'm impressed that they know about it and they can use the internet effectively. Well, and
0: so, I, yeah, I think it's a proxy for something in that proxy of like going on to a, you know, I mean, this is consistent with the, the I guess, the data that religious states look at porn more often. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it needs to be a proxy for actual adultery to be a sign of something, your willingness or your motivation to go out of your way to try to like, get some strange if you're married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, a th- that's the thing about Ashley
1: Madison. It's one thing to have an affair, to sort of like, stumble into an affair. It's another mm-hmm. thing to go onto a website where yeah, the, t- the tagline is, life is short, have an affair. Like, you don't know who it's going to be, but you're just certain that life. that's your goal.
0: So I had dinner with the founder of Ashley Madison once. I think I may have talked about. This. I think you've t- you've uh, said told. Totally yeah. yeah, and uh, he was saying that this was with with Dan Ariely and Nina Mazar. Um, he was saying that they sort of like marketed, like market tested a bunch of different slogans, you know, of varying complexity, and the one that just won out <laughs> the most was that "Life is short, have an affair." That's it's it. a, it's effective. Like I saw <laughs> that and I was
1: like, yeah, you know, like. <laughs> Life is short. That's a good point, you know.
0: (laughs) Okay, but the, the ethics of actually using this.
1: So here's what the authors say. We believe that using data that were originally collected unethically is itself ethically permissible. To forbid such use would be closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. Not sure about that. I don't know what work
0: that metaphor is doing here. Isn't it just that it's not that I didn't understand what it meant to use data that was already leaked,
1: right? (laughs) And and also, like, is is the idea that you should leave the door open so the horse? Like, I don't get the metaphor.
0: (laughs) The horse will eventually come back,
1: but that's not what's happening here. The data 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 is not going to unleak itself, (laughs) right? In the case of Ashley Madison in particular, not only have data been publicly available since 2015, it has been widely discussed in the news with some reports, even describing how to obtain and use the data.
0: Irrelevant.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We cannot undo the past. But we can make the most of the present by getting what social sci- and scientific value <laughs> we can out of undesirable event, events, whether those events are natural disasters, disease epidemics, or human wandering. <laughs> I, if I were the editor, I would just say don't like cut those two paragraphs. All it does is make me... Question more the ethics. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say, which is I actually was all for it. Like, yeah, haha. Ha. And then, like, I read these and I was like, oh, these arguments are so bad that maybe it is, in fact, unethical. Exactly.
1: That's right. <laughs> that, it had the opposite effect that I assume it was supposed to have. Because, um, uh, so, I mean, you know, like you could make the same comparison with the, well, the Nazi doctors or whatever and like yeah. that, that yeah. research and stuff. And that is a really
0: tough question. Except for that, the potential value of using something that might really save a life. Versus yeah. knowing that libertarians are more likely to try to. But at the same time, it. but the potential, but the
1: costs or the sort of the queasiness of it is also like much lower. Yeah. Like, so what? Like, if people know this study, so, so what? Like, is, is the idea that you just shouldn't use the data at all? Cause nobody knew
0: is getting exposed because of this, right? I so, mean, so, so it, it it might be that you're contributing to the exposure, um, right? So, like, people who... That's true, actually. So, in fact, the fact that I flippantly said some academics were in the data set right. um, might lead some people to go search through it and, and find those people, and then, you know... What right? are the ethics of you saying that? That's a better question. <laughs> exactly. <What are> the, <laughs> there are horses out of the oh. bag. <laughs> yeah, the, the, right. the cat's out of the stable. stable the, doors. the stable door has... The <laughs> stable door has Good. been unrung.
1: I'm going to just use that as anytime somebody questions, like, my ethics, I'll be like, that's like closing the stable door when the horse is <laughs> <laughs>
0: That That's why, you know, I was inclined to say, well, yeah, this is like, as long as it's anonymized, like, I do think it's mildly unethical to even, you know, search through the data that's been illegally leaked, but no more, you know, I mean, I also think it's unethical to look at leaked nude pictures of celebrities. Um, but I not all that unethical, like it's mildly unethical. I do not know whether as an institution, I would say, go ahead and use these data um, and publish. I don't have, I actually, don't, I don't think I have a big problem with it, to be honest. Like all the damage that you can imagine that is being done is not damage that I think is that much more than what has already been done. Um, Certainly, any
1: p- of the problems with them doing it would also apply to us talking about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, but I only, I, but I only arrived at that conclusion after we talked about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> We just shouldn't release the episode then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it would be wrong. I suppose that some people could be really upset by this if they went on Ashley Madison. I think I, I just assume that when I put my name and email into a database and it that <laughs> it has a pretty good chance of making its way into somebody's hands. If it gets um, leaked,
1: yeah. I, I kind of feel like it's on you to some extent.
0: Yeah. Would thing. you want to know, like, if I said here is a list... It's very easy to look at houston.edu as a yeah. search term in the Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it would be unethical for you to look and see if anybody in your department's is in it?
1: Is in it? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I'd be interested.
0: <laughs> you just want to <laughs> know who's down. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's non-virtuous. I would say that. I don't know if yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I shouldn't be doing that. That's right. Uh,
0: that's right. I, I believe in privacy. I believe that I wouldn't want to pour through this data set in order to test hypotheses. I don't think that the value of it is worth my staining myself and like being tempted to look at my friends. I never looked at the data set. Um, I, I know that I could. I, I wouldn't want to know if you, Tamler, were on it. Like, I don't think I would want to know.
1: Well, good. So just make sure you just keep off it. <laughs> just <then. stay> away. <laughs> Just don't check. Um, no, like I didn't, I didn't even really know about it uh, other than it was like a pop-up. But I didn't know that's what it was. It was like a
0: pop-up on porn. You didn't know what Ashley Madison itself was? Yeah. Before uh, that
1: big leak, like I knew it was this annoying pop-up but yeah. I didn't know like exactly what it was or like, I thought it was like a kind of a version of Tinder or something like that. <laughs> but that like, I remember actually
0: did. when I went to dinner and the guy at the very beginning, we were talking about that slogan and Dan Ariely goes to me. Um, have you heard uh, the slogan? I said, yeah. And he goes, how do you know, David? Like as if he were tricking me into admitting something. And I was like, because I watch porn <laughs> and they pre-roll their ads. I was like you're not going to make me feel shame in
1: admitting. That. I also think the value of this study is virtually nil.
0: Yeah. No, you know what it is? It's a um it's a haha Republicans study. It is.
1: <laughs> it's a clickbait. I wonder I liberals. wonder if it had
0: been I don't know the authors and I I I would assume that the answer would be yes, but I I do wonder a little bit if the answer had been that Democrats were the most likely. They probably would have published it, but I wonder if it would have gotten published or gotten the attention.
1: All right. When we come back, we will talk about The Library of Babel by Borges. Yeah. Yeah
0: a jail, clips inserted, a baby's being born, same time a man is murdered, the beginning and end, as far as rap go, it's only natural, I explain, my plateau, and also, what defines my name, Versus nasty, but times have changed, ask me now, I'm the artist, but hardcore my signs for pain, I spent time in the game, kept my mind on fame, saw a fiend shoot up, and do lines of cocaine, saw my close friend shot, flatlining my shame, that depends, carry mag 10s to practice my aim, on rooftops, tape CD covers the trees, line the barrel up with your weak pitch it and squeeze, Street riches for lost souls in the crossroads to the corner thugs hustling for cars that cost though to the big dogs living laws taking it light pushing big toys getting nice join your life is what you make it suicide if you try to take it belt tied around the neck in jail cells naked heaven and hell rap legend presence is felt and of course nas are the letters that spell not sighted, deep, i never felt not like Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Uh, At this time, we'd like to set aside a couple of minutes to thank all of our supporters, um, all of you people who uh, contact us, talk to us, um, write to us, uh, and support us in other ways. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I've been traveling. I haven't been able to keep up with all the emails um, lately. Uh, We do try to read them all, right? I read them all. You read them all. I try to read read them all. I do read them all eventually. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. We love our community. We love the discussions that you guys raise. We love your ideas for episodes. Um, And we really appreciate it. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can also uh, tweet to us at Tamler at peas or at verybadwizards. You can... Um, join in our Facebook discussions or in our Reddit uh, subreddit, Ber- Very Bad Wizards, uh subreddit on reddit.com slash r slash Uh And we even have discussion for our Patreon listeners um, if you want to engage in that way. Which brings me to the other way that we really very much enjoy uh, your support. Oh, I missed something. Instagram. We always Instagram. miss Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, as does eliza sometimes in posting it. about instagram uh well it's child labor you can't I don't um, know. in the old
1: days kids worked earned their they, keep in the
0: house <laughs> they were grateful and they earned it um you can support us in more tangible ways if you would be so willing we very much appreciate that it keeps the lights on it keeps us uh, recording it keeps us buying travel microphones because soon I will be recording again in person with Tamler Um, in El Paso. We're both going to be there for conference, and so um, we'll have to look at each other in the eye. El Paso in late July. El Paso in late July. We're living the dream. (laughs) (laughs) I hear they have really good air conditioning. (laughs) Let's hope. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you can support us by going to our verybadwizards.com slash support. You'll find all the ways that you can support us there. You can give us a one-time donation through PayPal. You can shop on Amazon as you would normally by clicking through our link first. You won't pay anything extra, but we'll get a little piece of whatever it is you buy. <clears throat> or you can go to our Patreon page and support us on a regular basis per episode. And that is patreon.com slash we very much appreciate that. In fact, our last episode was a result of the suggestions from our Patreon supporters, um, our personality uh, episode. Which people seem to like, as yeah. usual. Our p- as usual. And they know better than
1: we do. They, n- they know what's best we, for us. We
0: can never guess, by the way, which of our episodes are going to be well-liked. No. Um, and yeah, so so did I miss anything?
1: Um, of the ways to support us. You can rate yeah. us on iTunes. Oh, yeah, rate us that, on iTunes. That helps people find us on iTunes for those people who still use iTunes. You know, spread Telefront. the word. We, we, love, we love interacting with you. Like, this summer, I think, has been fairly busy and crazy for both of us, so we haven't been as responsive as we sometimes are, but like I, I at least, read... Um, all the emails that you send <laughs> us, do and do. I really appreciate the, the, um, that. Uh, uh. Okay, so uh, thank you. This episode and the subsequent ones that we do on Borges was actually uh, a result of one of the interactions and me uh, seeking out these interactions because someone on Reddit suggested, and that's the user. You slash would be something mentioned that we should do an episode on some stories by Jorge Luis Borges, um, and as soon as I read that, I thought that was a great idea. Pitched it to Dave. I mean, so Borges is an Argentinian, where I knew I wouldn't have trouble persuading Absolutely.
0: you, yeah, um, and just just like one of my favorites. Um, so, I mean,
1: he's like the Messi. He's like the Lionel Messi of <laughs> Argentina writers right like he's definitely our biggest export yeah in, no in we don't of, like i don't know if i know the
0: names of any others <laughs> yeah, i don't even <laughs> uh yeah i discovered i discovered borges when i was i think it wasn't until i was in early college and or maybe mid college somewhere and i was so angry that i hadn't heard of him so this is, here's an argentine author Argentinian author and he talks about shit that just fascinates me that i love and um I, you know, there's there are reasons. My mom was raised in Argentina, um, uh, and she was raised in a very religious upbringing. They didn't read a lot of fiction, um, but I said, "Mom, do you know this guy, <laughs> this guy Borges?" And she and she says, "Yeah, I met him once." And I was like, "Oh, fuck you! <laughs> like, why haven't you told me this before?" Uh, when she was uh, when she was in um her first year in in university, as they say. What year was this? Uh, this must have been in the early '60s, uh, when when my mom was just starting college. Um, yeah, so or mid '60s, I guess. My mom was born in '43. Yeah, so all of this I discovered as as I was becoming a huge fan. Um, but that's certainly not necessary to be to be able to appreciate.
1: Turns that's out, that's a sign of a great writer that your mom doesn't have to have met him.
0: Well, honestly, for a second I was like is there any chance that he's my real father? <laughs> Please. God <laughs> <laughs> turns out what timing is about 20 years. Old, about yeah, that's years old. right. <laughs> wow. I love my father for the record. So that's yeah. a really
1: good like poll question. Like who would you want to be your <laughs> real father? Like if you, is there someone out there that you I wouldn't would, be me,
0: but you know, if Borges would, would, was my real father, maybe I wouldn't love Borges. You never know.
1: Right. Cause he would, cause you're disconnected with him and like, that would care. be a very
0: pyrrhic victory. You'd be <laughs> like,
1: but you would be like one of those rappers that can't believe that their dads don't like reach out to them
0: and... <laughs> until they get money. Um,
1: yes. yeah. So let me set up the stories. Uh, let me just read the opening and then just set up what it is the lib- the library of Babel and then we can talk about it. I would say though you have to read it like yeah, you, yeah. this and it's, it's available. very short. I mean it's yeah. dense but it's very short. Yeah, a lot of and and that's true of pretty much all of his stories. That so here's how it starts: the universe, which others call the library, is composed of an indefinite, perhaps infinite, number of hexagonal. Is it
0: hexagonal or hexagonal? Uh, I actually don't know.
1: An infinite number of hexag... That sounds better. (laughs) An infinite number of hexagonal galleries. In the center of each gallery is a ventilation shaft bounded by a low railing. From any hexagon, one can see the floors above and below, one after another, endlessly. The arrangement of the galleries is always the same. Twenty bookshelves, five to each side. Line four of the hexagon, six sides. The height of the bookshelves, floor the ceiling is hardly hardly greater than the height of a normal librarian one of the hexagons free sides open into a narrow sort of vestibule which in turn opens into another gallery identical to the first identical in fact to all to the left and right of the vestibule are two tiny compartments one is for sleeping upright the other for satisfying one's physical necessities through this space, too, there passes a spiral staircase which winds upward and downward into the remotest distance. Uh, and so that's the setup of like the, the uh, architecture of this library, which is, I'm doing a little research, surprisingly hard to, uh, to visualize. To visualize, yeah, and to, the, a lot of artists have tried, and I think there's some controversy as to whether it's even possible or not to represent this, fitting all the pieces together So then you find out what the library is. Uh, He says, for a long time, nobody knew what it was, but then they figured it out by deducing from three axioms uh, the truth about the library. So all the books have 410 pages, and there are no two identical books. From these incontrovertible premises... The librarian deduced that the library is total, perfect, complete, and whole, and that its bookshelves contain all possible combinations of the 22 orthographic symbols, a number which, though unimaginably vast, is not infinite, that is, all that is able to be expressed in every language." All. The detailed history of the future, the autobiographies of the archangels, the faithful catalog of the library, thousands and thousands of false catalogs, the proof of the falsity of these false catalogs, a proof of the falsity of the true catalog. So it is essentially every possible combination of those characters, as we now call them, is in... One of these uh, is in the, the total of all of these books, and none of the books are identical to each other. So what that means, you can actually compute the number of books that this, <laughs> you, that this library has, and it's, uh, uh, from my research, I didn't do this, 25 to the 1,312,000th power that number of books which couldn't fit couldn't even come close to fitting in our universe right now it's way 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 more than the number of atoms in our universe but
0: so so i have a a book that i had just had in my library called the unimaginable mathematics of borges's library of babel and um if you took a standard size of a book 10 to the 84 would fit in our known universe It's it's basically just the mind fucking blowing. uh, Yeah, it's it's
1: it's literally unimaginable. Like we just don't have a sense of what that could possibly mean. Like I was trying to explain this to my family yesterday, and like (laughs) they're like, "That's infinite." It's like it's not infinite, but (laughs) in some ways, it might as well be. Because right. we can't conceive of that number, like j- just saying it's twenty-five to the one million three hundred thousandth power is, is kind of like it's no different than saying twenty-five to the two hundred thousandth power.
0: Right, 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 right. It it, it is for the purposes of a, a of a person living in this thing, it is it is yeah. evident.
1: Right. So that's the setup, um, and and you know one of the implications of it is there is every possible book so there's like books all the existing books plus like better versions of all existing books (laughs) like all of those books but like substituting penis for like the word (laughs) the and then mostly though it's all complete gibberish um, because it's completely random how the characters have come together but there's like books, a book that you could have written there's yeah, like, a book
0: that describes your entire life.
1: Uh, right. Including yeah. like from now on. <laughs> yeah. Like, so <laughs> you would find out everything that, well, if you happened, to, if you found this book and you knew that you found it, it could tell you everything that was going to happen to you until you die. But of course, there's also a book that perfectly describes your life up till now and then just falsely describes from now yeah. until you die. In fact, there's, there's a million of those books for every book that truly describes, you know, yeah. a
0: zillion or whatever. How again. It's it's hard to to really say that a story blows your mind. Yeah. And I remember when I first read this, it it really blew my mind and it still blows my mind. Let me
1: just <laughs> one last thing to set up the discussion and then it can go in all sorts of different directions, but um I think that there are multiple ways to approach this mind-blowing story. Some people approach it just as this kind of philosophical thought experiment that um, we just described and thinking of all the ways it's anal- like it's an analogous or a metaphor for the universe or for genetics. So that's one way of doing it, which would really barely require you to even read the story. You just have to have a sense of what the library of Babel is. The other way, which I think I would like to at least pay a good amount of attention to, is as a story with this character who's describing these other characters and how they're sort of reacting to living in this library, being these librarians, and the sort of mood of the story, <laughs> which is, I think, v- pretty somber and melancholic. And it's this it's it's another sort of dimension to the story that I think is really important for understanding what Borges was up to. Mm mm-hmm. um, just the little ways in which the character describes his own state of mind throughout, you know, over the course of his life. And then the, all the various other groups that he talks about is also a really fascinating
0: part of the story. Absolutely. Right. So so when, when you think about it, I think this is a library like this that contains every conceivable ordering of these letters is identical in informational value to one that contains zero books, <laughs> like it is it is literally it becomes meaningless to uh, to try to find any informational value in these books, given that each and every one of them and every permutate right there is well right I mean you could spend your whole
1: life uh, and this would almost certainly be the case probabilistically it would be rare that you came across a book that had like a grammatical sentence. Right. It would be, yeah. never yeah. mind like one that was meaningful to you.
0: No, but just but, but this is the more, the more sort of mathematical, the information science point, which is that in a library that has been described this way, There is no information in it. There is just there is because it's you're completely unable to distinguish something truthful from something non-truthful. Every single thing is there.
1: Well, I mean, we should talk about that because I think there is a there's an argument that you could make against that. But one thing I thought was interesting is once they figured out what the library was. So here's what it says. When it was announced, the first reaction was unbounded joy. All men felt themselves the the possessors of an intact and secret treasure. There was no personal problem, no world problem, whose eloquent solution did not exist somewhere in some hexagon. The universe was justified. The universe suddenly became congruent with the unlimited width and breadth of humankind's hope. And then uh, it says, at that period, there was much talk of the vindications, these books that would vindicate for all time the actions of every person in the universe. So like after the discovery, and I don't know, maybe this is analogous in some way to after Newton's laws or something, when Newton's laws were discovered, it's like, oh my God, we have the way of understanding now everything that there is to understand. <laughs> and because these are books, it's true in one sense that like every personal problem that you have there's a book that would tell you the best way of of addressing it of course the issue is not just that the the vanishingly small possibility that you would find that book but how you would know even (laughs) if you that even (laughs) if you did find it that that was the one because there's always ones that are deliberately misleading, not deliberately, but just misleading, like, oh and and might be misleading in a way that is exactly designed to get us to believe, oh, this is the one, this is the solution, this is the thing. So how would so how would you know? And I think that's sort of why you say that it's no it's all it's like the existence of no information at that yeah.
0: point. Right, right. Because for every claim, there is an opposite claim and there is no external way to, to determine the truth of the claim. Because
1: right. we are part of the universe. Yeah. We're part of the library. Uh, you know, there's also a book that decodes the library.
0: That's that's the hope, right? That's, that's the hope. There's a, there's a sect of people who believe that there is a decoding book. But again, you wouldn't just know, you just would not know, even if you stumbled upon it. There might be one that perfectly decodes fake like yeah.
1: just, <laughs> no, in fact, for every of the one that truly decodes the library, there would be countless numbers of of fake decodings. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh- and I, I think it's really interesting that they you get this unbridled enthusiasm that then turns to what he calls similarly disproportionate depression. It's like the thought that there are these these solutions out there, that there are books out there that could answer all your deepest questions, maybe even, and we can talk about what this would mean, but justifies your life to, to you in a way that would satisfy you, but that it's inaccessible <laughs> is worse than there just not being the book out right. there. That's right. the thing that you get that's kind of pervasive through the whole thing is... It's worse to know that it's out there and you can't get it than to th- think that it's just not out there at all.
0: Right. So uh, so he describes these people who would talk about what he calls the vindications. Presumably, these are, these are books of prophecies that would vindicate for all time the actions of every person in the universe and that held wondrous arcana, right? And that hope that you will find your, that people would travel around with the hope that they would find the vindication for their own life. But again, it seems to be a mistake that you will never, you wouldn't know. Like you wouldn't know if that was the correct version. Right. What
1: does that mean? Like that a book would vindicate Uh, your existence? I
0: I wondered if this was an allusion to some sort of religious idea that I wasn't sure of. Um, I, I wonder if it is something like justifying the rightness of your life um, in some way, like ma- making it clear that the way that you lived was, was the right way to live.
1: It's, it's a funny, this is uh, you know, sort of one of these is-ought things, but you, this is, it's certainly an open question whether such a book is even possible. Uh, there's a book that might make you, I'm sure there's a book that will make you feel better about your life. Well, that's the thing. There's a book, (laughs) but a book that would justify your life uh, or that would justify the universe. It's not totally clear what that even means or whether that book is one of the possible books that, that could exist. right? Right. And that's something Borges, this is what I love about this story he doesn't really he kind of drops it in there because this is clearly something the librarian hasn't thought of that question he's he hasn't asked what that would mean this question of justification i think he takes it for granted that it exists but that we just can't get it you might there might be a hope that you will know it when you see it
0: yeah like oh this is my life this is this I mean, the one.
1: that's that's the one way that there would be information ev- in this universe is that like there's some sort of like you'd have to be like some kind of intuitionist where you would think that we can recognize amidst all the false books like the true one, mm-hmm. you know.
0: So, OK, so let's talk a little bit more about the people's reactions. He's talking a lot. A lot of this is just in almost religious zeal, religious fanaticism one way or the other. Right. Um, some people, I believe he says some people just committed suicide immediately. Yeah. And yeah. he
1: also says at the end that suicides are way up.
0: Then there's the there's the people who go around Ill, trying to eliminate all worthless books, which is a hilarious idea because it's like, you, you know, these people, they're still caught up in this notion that there are books that are worthless and books that are not.
1: Yeah. So, the, no, their idea is to make the problem more manageable by <laughs> mm-hmm. just getting rid of all the books that are nonsense and that just don't have value. But then those, those people are now looked upon uh, with extreme disfavor um, and their name is cursed because they've destroyed millions of books. And maybe amongst those books was something that if you just had the proper coding book, it would tell you deep things about about the universe but i love the like undercutting of that so the librarian says i think this uh, this worry is overblown because even if they did destroy one of those books there's just another one <laughs> uh, another book that is exactly that except like one or two characters are different
0: and yet the majority of books that you would ever encounter in your whole life would be full of gibberish because and that is a particular kind of hopelessness where you uh, where you even say, like, because my initial thought, too, when I read that, it was, like, no, don't throw away any book because that might be the one. But he's like, but come on. Like, literally, there's going to be another one. But that's the one. But with a comma out of place, like it won't, it won't really matter.
1: And then uh, so there are these people, a blasphemous sect, he says, <laughs> that propose that all searches for meaningful books be discontinued and that all men shuffle letters and symbols until those canonical books, through some improbable stroke of chance, had been constructed. The authorities were forced to issue strict orders. The sect disappears. But in my childhood, I have seen old men who for long periods would hide in the latrines with metal discs and a forbidden dice cup, feebly mimicking the divine disorder. (laughs) So this is kind of interesting. It's like, okay, we are going to try to recreate this library at least will be the ones we decide we're the ones that are in charge of the disorder not this bewildering universe that we find ourselves in and like that's some sort of comfort to this blasphemous sect
0: right right um, and wh-
1: and why is it blasphemous like why why do they get i mean forbidden?
0: there's a, there's this interesting right like Borges could have made this about scientists who try to find the order in the chaos or something like that. He doesn't. This is very much um, in whatever allegory he's trying to tell. It's important that this be a mystical thing and that the things that's that emerged around this knowledge that the universe was was all these books made of these same 25 that this is a religious reaction. He doesn't aside from the math that he starts out with it is about about the hum if these are humans uh, their response to finding themselves uh in this universe in a in a very co- cosmic religious wrestling with the gods kind of way um and i i have a feeling that it has to be that way um you know, he doesn't mention anybody trying to do the math to figure these things out. I mean, he just sort of puts it out there that the guy figured out, the one librarian figured out the true nature of the... Who's a of, philosopher. Yeah, who is a philosopher, right? Um, as if. S- <laughs> Not <laughs> a
1: social psychologist. <laughs> Not <laughs> running, like, trolley studies. He's a philosopher. Oh, Fucking but you know that social psychologists
0: who were in that library would totally be doing <laughs> worthless research <laughs> on the books. <laughs> what if I prime you with 22... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I actually
1: disagree, though, that there isn't a subtext of scientists trying to make order of a chaotic universe. I think there is. I think that especially those first people who are trying to gather all the books and trying to figure out, like, what makes sense and how to figure out some sort of order and is there some sort of code or some sort of—these are kind of like the laws of nature. Some book that can explain the other books and all these seemingly chaotic books— but this one book can ex- kind of unify them and bring them together like that that seems to me to be analogous to science but i agree that the tone of it almost suggests that borges thinks that that's just another form of religion yeah. uh, given the way the universe is it's another you know not necessarily more feeble but another feeble attempt to try to bring order to something that uh, where order cannot be brought to it because we're just not capable of understanding it. I think the sense of hopelessness that is pervasive, even when he's describing the people who had hope, there is a sense of hopelessness that pervades the story. He does seem to both want the library to be infinite and like sort of yearn for it to be infinite, yet is aware that there are a finite number of people books. Right. And a, so he wants the library itself to go on forever but there to be a finite number of books. Wh- why do you think
0: that? I don't know. I mean, so so he's clearly I was actually thinking about why why Bohr has made this such a bounded like he could have said I'm describing a library where the books vary in length, you know, and like make it truly like some some version of infinity, but he didn't the number of books is not infinite. But then he says, I will be bold enough to suggest the solution to the ancient problem. The library is unlimited but periodic. If an eternal traveler should journey in any direction, he would find after untold centuries that the same volumes are repeated in the same disorder, which repeated becomes order, the order. My solitude is cheered by that elegant hope. And I can't find the hope in that. I don't understand what he's saying, to be honest. Like, I don't know if it's a cynical take, that Borges is saying of this author that he is almost sort of in a in a classical existentialist turn. There is no meaning, therefore, let me create my meaning. And the way that I'm creating my meaning is the hope that that order will come from my boundless from the boundless travels of humanity. Um, that but elegant it, hope, I just don't get.
1: Right? It doesn't seem to be that because he also says when he's talking about there's this sort of legend of this man who has happened to be in the library where there was the book that explains everything like, and that is the decoder for all the other books. Mm -hmm. And that person now wanders the library, like knowing what he's looking for and being able to put all the pieces together. And he says, uh, the author, I don't have the passage here, but something like, I know that I will never like, it's impossible that I'll ever meet this person, but I (laughs) want, him to exist like i i I would love for him to and i don't think he's thinking that that guy is creating his own meaning he has stumbled upon the meaning and his and this man's hope is that some other human if it can't be him will have it maybe because that would mean that the life wasn't purposeless life wasn't just a meaningless void
0: yeah yeah there are still vestiges of the sect that worshipped that distant librarian. Many have gone in search of him. For a hundred years, men beat every possible path and every path in vain. How was one to locate the idolized secret hex- hexagon that sheltered him? Let heaven exist, though my own place be in hell. Let me be tortured and battered and annihilated, but let there be one instant, one creature, wherein thy enormous library may find its justification. I mean, I think that he has set it up to, to know... Within this text, that it is a meaningless library, that it is a library with no internal answers to its to the questions that are being asked, and his desire that this librarian exists, that the one that's analogous to a god. It's funny because the bookman, or you know, this this person looking, is not. There's nothing special
1: about him other no, than he had the luck to be born in. A library that had this book that he was yeah. able to then recognize, but there's nothing otherwise special about him. But I still don't know. Again, going back to our earlier question, is that even possible that such a book exists? And if there's not, then there's no book man. If there's no book that can, and there's no book,
0: can, and th- there is no way that that book man, there there are probably, a, a, you know, some very large number of people who think that they saw that book. right and there's no good way to distinguish that but no there's yeah
1: in the same way that there are a lot of people who think they've discerned the true meaning of the universe the true religion the true you know
0: right and And this is why i say that like within the text borges has set it up knowingly to be a universe in which the the understanding of the truth is impossible at least the truth as as written about within the books um, yet he is embracing this desire to believe that somebody has seen that one true book. Like, I don't believe that he mis- is misunder that the narrator... I believe that Borges believes that the narrator is either wrong to believe this uh, or... Y- yeah, I mean, who he? I, th- I believe Borges must believe the narrator is wrong to believe this. And what he's saying about his belief is unclear to me whether he's saying, look how this guy is... The, the desire to find meaning and to find patterns is so strong that even this very smart librarian who, who knows the futility of all of these people's actions continues to believe that there is yeah. some hope that there's something
1: essentially human about that something right. inescapable about that. Right. Um, I think that's, that is like, cause there's something admirable about it almost that he, Isn't just committing suicide and giving and hurling himself off the spiral staircase like uh, like some of the librarians. He's actually he's he's living out his natural life. But the thing that allows him to do that is this hope. It seems like so. and, And what's interesting throughout the book, you get the sense. I mean, throughout the story, you get the sense that these people start out full of optimism and then at a certain point realize the futility of their quest and then kill themselves or sink into deep depression. (laughs) And I, and, and I, I don't know, like I was trying to think what, what, what is this saying about the, this is written at at like 1940, 41, or at least that's when it was first published. This is the, you know, the, the Camus the absurd and, the existentialists although i don't think that this is i don't see that many parallels with existentialism but i do see parallels with camus and the absurd and i think that it is that there's something about the vastness of the universe and the chaos the sort of disorder of it that Makes people feel alone like the you get the sense of isolation, even though you could just walk next you don't get the sense that people are like hanging out like no. having a beer together, oh let's look at this <laughs> gibberish book let's you know or having like you don't get the sense that there are any women actually <laughs> I would
0: just be wandering the infinite library to find some dirty like you know some dirty shit. <laughs> This right. one said vagina. There's. Did you know <laughs> that about twenty leagues from here, there's a book that says vagina.
1: <laughs> and then there's one that starts out, "Tired of reading porn? You could be out there like fucking a librarian. Life is short. Fuck a librarian. <laughs> no, but the, the that's a good motto. Life is that short. Is fuck a librarian. librarian. <laughs> um, just to finish that thought. So I think like. Sometimes when your world is too small, like you live in this state of agitation like this or or perpetual out. Like if your world is Twitter, you're in this state of agitation and outrage and just constant like. But if your world is too big as their world is in this and then it's it, the, the the human sort of state now is a kind of loneliness and a kind of despair or depression, it seems like. Like just the contemplation of the vastness and the meaninglessness or the most likely meaninglessness of where we find ourselves makes us, isolates us in a way that when most of the time we're not thinking of that. And so, you know, we are then connected with people and and our little worlds. But when that's stripped away from us, as it seems to be for these people, you're just left with the contemplation of...
0: Of the meaninglessness.
1: The the impossibility of finding what you're looking
0: for. Yeah, I almost read this as... You know, Borges is creating a universe that is very constrained. So he's saying, um, this is the... the entirety of the universe is in these very identically shaped things, uh, rooms, and you know, the, there's there's no real fleshing out of you know, where are people born, do they have families or anything like this? It is a it is a super abstract idea that you're you're born, you become a librarian, you wander the universe and You can,
1: you, or you stay in your little or you stay in your hexagon. vestibule. Yeah.
0: But but it seems as if the 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 entirety of human activity is to ponder the library um and there and the library is the only thing to ponder um and it's it's seems as if borges might be saying in this universe where that is all that is left to do that is the only thing that one has to do you can either travel and look at all the books or you can stay and look at these books or or whatever Um, that um, when when the universe found out that this was probably meaningless, uh, this is how some people reacted, but the right thing maybe for him to do is just to continue keeping hope and continue looking through books. That's that. That is because that's the only thing to do. So you could despair and you could throw yourself off of one of the staircases, but just... Just continue. If it if you need hope to continue looking through your books, because that is what humans do in this universe, then hold on to that hope. But um, so in this constrained universe, that's the only activity that you can do when it's you know, this is a crueler universe than ours, because as we d- discussed at length in our in our podcast on meaning on the Nagel essay, we can find meaning in local local achieving of goals, right? I want to do this and I do it. I, you know, I find my uh, interaction with my friends and my family members to be filling my heart with love. And I don't, that doesn't need an external justification. The whole point of this universe is that they're lost in this, you know, all they have is those books. And why is that?
1: So this is good. Like, this is sort of what I wanted to like, why that it's, it's totally true what you say that there just isn't anything besides pondering the implications of the library trying to address the yeah. vastness of it like
0: it's never described that people like eat or what they <laughs> right. just like get Oh <laughs> uh, yeah there's a gather. brief mention of like having to you know having to take care of your physical
1: needs take a dump take <laughs> a, like jerk off whatever like there's there's just no sense that that's even uh, a possibility and why is that because in life that is a possibility in fact it's how we live 99.9 percent of our lives right so, so is I, th- yeah, I, I i here's one hypothesis about what the difference is between them and us th- they know that there are books out there that could tell them Whatever they're doing, they could do it better in this specific way. Or, you know, like, there's a relationship that they might be in. There's a book out there somewhere that could tell them, like, uh, you shouldn't be with this person. You should be with that person. Right. Or, that, or here's or will th- say,
0: you were right that one time. And, like, I find it. I can finally go and show Tamler. <laughs> well, I was right that one
1: time. Well, that was my first thought. There's a book that could convince you that Straw Dogs was a great movie. There's a book, like... And, and just the knowledge that they're out there makes you not be able to think about anything else. Right, Like, right. It, Whereas... You know, it's a little known
0: fact, by the way, that Jordan Peterson's book is a bestseller over there, too.
1: So. <laughs> in, in there, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> it's a bestseller everywhere. Uh, Eddie Namius uh, discovered him. He, he emailed me uh, a program of spp in 2005 he had jordan peterson on the program oh <laughs> uh he was organizing a session like he discovered him like <laughs> like he's like like someone who like discovered jay-z when he was just selling crack and rapping on street corners <laughs>
0: uh jay is
1: more eloquent <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> sorry,
1: direct your emails to pizarro <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, um,
0: yeah, I, w- I was wondering if, cause on the one hand you can say this is an allegory for our world, our universe. On the other hand, okay, here's the three possibilities that I, that that I can think of. One, this is an allegory for our universe, our search for meaning. This is in some way meant to describe the way that our universe is and that our existence is. Um, here's possibility two. Borges loves games of math and infinity. He loves yeah. games of religion. He loves games of mysticism. This is a fucking cool story, right? And, and I don't think that would take away from it. It's just like a mind-blowing story. And it's says, a mindfuck. It's, it's, like it's a mindfuck, world. right? Or how I, how I imagine Westworld. How you imagine Westworld. This season was like a mindfuck, but it was a little boring mindfuck. Um, and the third is that this is a description of an aspect of people in our world. That this is it might be that these people are meant to describe the way in which some people become obsessed with with yeah. certain aspects of existence. Um, and so even though in the story these people have, it's not as if they're not going to parties or ignoring their family, um, they nonetheless describe a certain set of people who get so lost in trying to find um, truth wherever, whether it be in the Kabbalah uh, or... Or you know the Cabalist yeah. methods, or or in science, or, or in an obscure reading of you know eighteenth century French feminists, or whatever the case may be, that we all are trying to find patterns, where it's really hard to figure out if patterns exist, like, and, and maybe impo- and probably impossible and, and probably because
1: impossible. we have no way of identifying whether we found a pattern or whether we found one of the billions of false patterns that or misleading patterns yeah i i think that's a great way of putting it that this is and how this is a description of how certain people react to the fundamental facts of the human experience right. living in this universe that we don't understand we can sometimes trick ourselves into thinking that we understand it we can spend our entire lives searching. I mean, Borges himself, I was doing a little reading into his biography. He didn't marry until very late in life. And there's a suggestion, I think this is Wikipedia, so don't quote me on this, that he married because he was going blind and his mother wanted somebody to take care of him. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, the his, his stories don't, aren't really about love affairs and families and various things like that. They're just not like there's, I can't think of a single story that where that is a part, a big part of them. They are more these existential or whatever kinds of uh, puzzles about existence and our place in it. You know, so maybe Borges himself
0: is, can identify with this librarian well you know he became the national librarian of of Argentina toward the end of his life with the ultimate irony being that he had already gone blind. So he was the blind he was himself a blind librarian and he was a librarian I read this before he he wrote
1: this um and probably where he got this idea and then when the perones came to power because he had been against them they fired him from they, they took right. him out of that position and made him uh be a poultry me- inspector. <laughs> really? And he never <laughs> and he ended up in them. Switzerland, yeah. I think. I, I, I think that's right. Like I think this that's a that's a really good way of understanding this, that it's a description of some people's reaction. And I don't know many people like this, but I wouldn't know them because they're solitary and <laughs> You know, like.
0: yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he he did seem obsessed with people who were obsessed, yeah. um, and and his his sort of discussion of the mystics and their you know and their their desire to figure out the ultimate truths of the universe in in these dice games or whatever, um, really does does seem to be thematic in him. That could be
1: like Borges himself. Like he's not he's not discovering it now he's creating it you know like he's not <laughs> searching for it he's just at least he's he's playing a role he has some agency in I mean, even in the way we're talking about it, right? We are searching for patterns, trying yeah, to I know. the <laughs> meaning true. and his biography, trying to like these memories, these stories that, that you, you know, of people who may have met him. Like <laughs> totally. that is that is definitely a human thing to try to search for these patterns and meanings in. And and that's what it's so good that he does is he and. encourages that he inspires it his his books are just an invitation to just think about all these things
0: yeah yeah
1: you know in really interesting ways and i really love like i'm really into that kind of art like where it's very open-ended how you understand it
0: Uh, yeah and you know what i also love and i should say i mean this is what i love about short stories in general but borges being sort of to me the ultimate in this is Sometimes an idea only requires four pages and it is still a book's worth of idea. And, you know, Borges has these these short stories where all he does is describe b- books, Yeah, that, but they're just complete bullshit books. And I think at some point I read an interview, I don't know where I read it, but that he was like, you know. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I could write a whole novel, but why when I can describe the novel that someone else wrote in one paragraph and get, like, get you all the, all of the things that I think would be interesting about it. Have you read the Book of Sand recently, his story? No.
1: That is a four-page story, That's and, and, and it has a similar idea. In fact, so it's about this guy who gets some religious person comes to the door selling Bibles, but it turns out to be this Book of Sand, which is this infinite book that has no beginning and no end, and so like every time you try to get to the first page, you find that there's like three or four more pages there, and every time <laughs> you try to get to the end, you find that there's three or four more pages, and there's no like as soon as you get what you think to the last page, all of a sudden there are four more pages so it's sort of like a book version of the library of Babel um, right. but what 's interesting is the again like the way he describes what it was like to possess it. So the person who possesses it, he says, I showed no one my treasure. To the joy of possession was added the fear that it would be stolen from me, and to that the suspicion that it might not be truly infinite. Those two points of anxiety aggravated my already habitual misanthropy. I had but few friends left, and those I stopped seeing a prisoner of the book, I hardly left my house. Um, And then he just ends up like putting it in a library, ironically, and just (laughs) like so that he never can find it again. But I thought that was really interesting that having the book, knowing of its existence, it poses these questions that, again, disconnects him from human contact, right? Like disconnects him from right. uh right, right. his his relationships he says he's already started out fairly misanthropic, and now like he's just he just cut off all his relationships altogether, and one of the fears that he has about it that gnaws at him is the fear that it might not be infinite, so again, there's this idea that the 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 thing we can cling to the hope is that it that there's this infinity. But our fear is that it's not
0: right, right. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's that that I think lends lends some some credence to the that this is speaking. This might be speaking of a certain kind of person, um, and the way in which they their attitude toward finding themselves in this world, right, and that they might be just yeah, they're literally lost in this infinite library. Um, not realizing, not realizing that that's not the point of living in that library. You know, the more
1: pessimistic reading, though, is that once you find this knowledge, um, you're you're done. Like yeah. the people who are living right. these lives of like where they're connecting and they're they think they're creating meaning. If they just knew the truth, that that would be over. That that life would be over.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it's similar to the, and maybe we'll discuss this, the the Funes, the Memorias story where the guy has absolute perfect memory of every moment in his life and that just makes it, that just makes him miserable, right? That's just like a horrible existence, um, to relive every minute detail of one's existence, um, in a way that I think is an idea that, that makes sense when you ponder it, um, Mm -hmm. That this would be a miserable existence. And that's because you're not living. Yeah. You're, you're not, not You're creative. never living. <laughs> you're never really living. You're always reliving. Some and moment. you
1: know, the way memory works is a creative thing. Yeah. And if you have perfect memory, you're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, that would be horrible. <laughs> it really would be. <laughs> there is so much more that i would rather forget than that i would rather remember
1: well we, for our patreon listeners we talked about that black mirror episode where yeah. you can just kind of rewind that would be oh, yeah, even worse be i guess misery. yeah <laughs> except that at least you have to make the choice to go to it you That's know right. it's yeah. not just present in your mind if you don't go to it
0: uh. Uh, are, any other thoughts about this no, except for that, I'm excited to to talk about some some of his other work because, you know, like you, I'm a fan, but it's been a while since I read seriously, and it's been never since I read with any goal in mind of discussion. So I wonder if themes will emerge in these other stories. And I don't know. I should say to listeners: if you love this stuff and you have, and you think that we're right or we're wrong, or that there's stories that we should read that we sh- that that might shed light on something that we talked about. Um, feel free to please suggest a way. Um, there's yeah, a
1: story. If there's a story you think we should uh, talk about, if there's uh, another story. I poem.
0: I don't really read his, his po- poetry just because I don't read poetry. But.
1: I wanted to close with one just brief thing that I may cut out of the episode, but there's this, in the Norm MacDonald's um, special, the most recent special, which you can find on Netflix, There's this really funny bit about Lee Majors, who (laughs) was the six million dollar man. And now he's kind of an old man. And so Norm MacDonald says, I saw him on this commercial, you know, for ear like a hearing aid, uh, (laughs) kind of playing on the fact that he had a bionic ear. And he said, and I just thought, you know, I I was imagining Lee Majors getting the call from his agent you know he hasn't heard from his agent in 30 years and he, you know all the things he's thinking they're doing a reboot of the six million dollar man <laughs> they're gonna finally do his screenplay and and then the, the agent says no it's this commercial for and the guy's like what for what for hearing aids oh, oh. and he's like and how much is it How much is one of these things? And then he gets the answer, and then uh, and then so he he's like, they have to know right now. He's (laughs) like, all right, I'll do it. And then he says, he's talking to his agent. He says, I got to ask you something. Is there any way we can put in the contract that I'm sad?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. I love. There's something about that
1: sort of that that reminds like that that mood right there like reminds me of this story or that I thought of that bit after yeah. I would read the story because it's this idea that you had this thing out there that you thought was going to happen. And then it's this you're going to do it but you Cause, want cause it you, like recorded yeah, it's better than that not. you're sad. <laughs> yeah.
0: You can't not do it, like he needs the two thousand bucks or whatever you know,
1: yeah, it's better, like it's better for him in that sense that it exists, that it doesn't, but in another way, it's worse
0: oh my God, yeah, I exactly.
1: just think that's so funny
0: oh, what a norm thing to say,
1: yeah, <laughs> and that was the end of the joke, like he then just moves on to a new <laughs> all right, well. God, we've been talking for a long time not surprising but um and i don't think we've done it justice but no you can't uh, you know
0: eventually it will be the case that whatever can be said in two hours <laughs> we we will have said
1: there is a book that has a transcript of this episode if it had been good
0: <laughs> if anybody <laughs> finds it please let us know and we'll re-record <laughs>
1: All right, well, uh, next time we'll talk about Garden of the Forking Paths. Make sure you read that. Because that's a very different kind of story. So we'll have a lot of different ways of approaching that. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. brain
0: you're a very bad man
1: i'm a very good man just a very bad wizard